Well, there in verse 1 of chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And with that, we'll bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our considerations tonight. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, that through your word, through your people, Father, through your spirit, through a number, any number, Lord, of of different sources, we might be called foolish, Father, when, when we are being so. And I thank you, Lord, that you will identify that in our hearts and you will steer us back towards you, towards righteousness, towards goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you are a good father. And you want to chastise us and bring us back into correction, back into justness. Father, thank you, Lord, that you're willing to do this. And thank you for those who are willing to do it on your behalf. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to well, be grateful for your word tonight. Father, be thankful, Lord, that you do lay this out, that you have laid it out for generations. What a privilege it is that we can receive the word of God. Bless it to us tonight, Father, I pray. Be glorified and honored, I ask, and help us to be fed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, uh, well, we're beginning, well, the corrective part of Galatians in earnest now after a couple of chapters of Paul's history and his, well, what did he lay out there in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians? He spoke of his apostleship and his authority that he held through Jesus Christ and God the Father in verse 1 of chapter 1. He spoke of the instruction that he received from the Lord by the revelation or through the revelation of Jesus Christ in verse 11 of chapter 1. He gave his history in preaching that message to the Galatians and to others. He shared that in verses 17 through 24 in Galatians chapter 1. Then as he moved into chapter 2, he talked about having then gone into Jerusalem and speaking with those ones who were the authorities in that early church in that day. Galatians 2 verse 7 through 9 says that he had fellowship extended to him from them and confirmation from those elders in Jerusalem. So he covered all of the boxes that anyone could have wanted, anyone could have rightfully expected out of him, and then some as far as his credentials and his capability, his place, his authority as our apostle and and the one who was designated and authorized to bring this word. And, well, we read last week, we finished up by that unpleasant piece there in verses 11 through 21 of Galatians chapter 2 when he expressed his unwillingness to let anybody, anybody, including that other dear brother, Peter, would not allow him to undermine his purpose in bringing that word and obeying the Lord and delivering that message that was given to him. And so, after those two chapters of expressing who he was, what the Lord had for him, and his determination to give that message that the Lord had for him, he set to actually, well, dealing some heat to the Galatians there. And and so it was. He expressed to them how foolish they were being and that they had been bewitched. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he used firm language with them. He used some pretty solid, well, correctional, correctional verbiage with them. You know, it's one of those things, you know... I hate to throw my kids under the bus, but they're the nearest ones at hand, and so I toss them all the time. So there it is. Uh, I've corrected them for, well, decades now. 
you know, and, and it's one of those things where as a good parent, as someone who's in a place of authority over them, you learn over time, or at least if you're willing to learn over time and become better as a parent, you're, you learn that, well, there are ways to correct and there are ways to do, well, to treat this child maybe a little bit different than this child, maybe a little bit more different than this child. Uh, in, in trying to extract from them the best results out of that discipline. So, you know, all I had to do was look at Judah when he was three years old, and I'd have him in tears with just a look, and it didn't have to be an angry look. That would do it, but all I'd have to do is give him a sad look sometimes. <laughs> Man, he'd be, he'd be wrecked and give the same sad look to Jaden. She'd laugh at you, you know, and go someplace else and, and do something else. You have to go a different direction with her. I believe that Paul, of course, was led by the Lord when he was correcting. He corrected the Corinthians in certain ways. He corrected these Galatians in, a di- in certain ways. And when he comes out and he just starts swinging, you foolish Galatians, I believe him when he says that. And it's obvious that he had it right. Oh, foolish Galatians, we just read a moment ago. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified? Those are strong words. Certainly they are, and intentionally so. Now, what was he being so strong with them, and what was his beef with them? He hadn't exactly enunciated it here in the first couple of chapters. He said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him. How did they turn away so soon? Well, if you've read this, and I trust that you that you have, throughout the rest of the of the of the book. He never says, these people by this name came in and they said these specific things, and now you are each doing this, this, and this. He doesn't say that exactly. He's speaking to a broad number of assemblies here. And I think that he's just kind of enveloping all of them because there were a number of different offenses that were here, a number of different errors. But it all comes back and circles back to them, well, looking to put themselves back under the law. Now, is that foolish? Well, as a matter of fact, it is. Let's just agree with Paul because Paul was speaking the word of God, so we're going to be agreeing with the Lord. Foolish means in the manner of a fool, right? To do something in the manner of a fool or to act unwisely or unintelligently. I was the class clown when I was a kid for the vast majority of my school career, there's no question, and I got that very deserved title because I acted unintelligently a good part of the time. I was foolish. I was the class Fool, And so these ones here, spiritually speaking, they were behaving foolishly. They were unwise. And they were reveling in things that were not godly. They were reveling in things. And that doesn't necessarily have to be something carnal or something where you say, oh, kids, turn away and don't look at this. It might actually look fine on the outside. It might actually appear good. It might actually appear righteous or pious, if you want to use that word. Those things can... Well, you can revel in those things and be completely outside of the will of God. And that's what they were doing. They were reveling in these things. They were acting unintelligently, not to heed and apply the words that the Lord had given them. Uh, If you look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 25, we see some foolish ones, just to give you more understanding of this word. This is when Jesus, after he had raised up and he's walking with those disciples on the road to Emmaus and they told him just how what everything what was going on over the last three days and for goodness sake where what kind of rock have you just crawled out of you know and they were shocked at him and so they explained everything to him and how sad they were and etc etc and he said oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe and all that the prophets have spoken he called them foolish you're acting unintelligent 
They weren't listening. They were wallowing in self-pity and wallowing in, in, in their own discouragement when Jesus himself had expressed to them three days. Oh, three days this temple is going to be rebuilt. And they weren't listening to him. They were acting foolishly. It's foolish for God's people who have been given much to choose to let go of that much in order to grab onto something that was, well, that's paltry. That's something less like discouragement, like the self-pity that these ones on the road to Emmaus were feeling. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, Paul says, Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. How come? Why is it foolish? Because they drown men in destruction and perdition. So to let go of the things of God and the riches that He promises us in glory as we follow Him, and are led by the Spirit, to grab on to the riches of this world, the quote-unquote riches that really are not, to grab on to the doctrine, the, the gospel that really was not, as Paul said, what was them grabbing on to something paltry and letting go of something good that they had? Um, how come they did that? Well, he said that they were bewitched, right, in verse 1. Who has bewitched you, foolish Galatians? Technically, it means... Well, to slander is what Strong's calls it, but it means to speak ill of somebody or to disparage somebody. But by extension and, and, and a, a more accepted application of that means to, well, to charm someone, to beguile someone, particularly as you're pointing them away from something that you're slandering. And so these ones came in and bewitched them and had them turn away from something that was good, slandering something over here that was good, the word of God, the message of grace. And they had beguiled them and bewitched them over here to something else. Remember that, that show? I used to watch it with my dad when it was, I don't know, Nick at Night or on those other Channel 62 back in the day. Bewitched, right? Mm -mm -mm. She did that with her nose and she was a witch and all that kind of stuff. And it's probably all pay, I mean, pagan and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it was... <laughs> It was uh, the old black and white shows, you know, bewitched. It means it's someone, someone beguiling or, or someone come in and charmed you with something supernatural. Well, I don't know if they were charming with something supernatural, but they were drawing their eyes from the Lord's supernatural goodness. And so they were being beguiled, and that is foolish to be so. Who has beguiled you from the truth you've clearly heard and, well, and believed, Paul was saying to them. Paul knew what he'd been given to preach. Paul knew what he had preached to them. Paul knew what they had expressed their faith in. Paul knew what he had left them in believing when he left that region. And word came back to him he'd heard. They had been bewitched and turned elsewhere. That's foolish, man. That's what he was saying. That's foolish. People had taught them to, in some measure, incorporate the law of Moses into their walks of faith. And that is a foolish thing to do. Again, not expressly stated exactly who, by name. Doesn't exactly state how they did it, at what time, and in what different locations, and that sort of thing. But he made it quite clear that that's what they were bewitched to. Galatians chapter 5, just keeping in our, in our book here, in the fourth verse of chapter 5, he says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. If they were believers, if they had accepted the Lord Jesus, they didn't fall from grace, from salvation. It meant that they'd fallen away from the truth and the actuality of grace. They'd fallen away from that teaching and that understanding and gone down a path of something that wasn't gracious. doesn't mean they weren't going to heaven. 
It just meant that they weren't laying up for themselves a closer walk with the Lord and a closer place with the Lord as they were pursuing these other things they were bewitched to. Uh, Flip back a chapter to verse 9 of chapter 4. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, he says, to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days, months, and seasons, and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Look what you're doing. These are weak and beggarly things. You are letting go of the blessing for the paltry. Something else that's been offered to you. That, well, that someone has beguiled you into believing that this is the better, more valuable thing. This is better. Yeah, you've been acting foolish again. Later on, Paul speaks to those who desire to be under the law and puts pretty fine little tag on it. They desire to be under the law. This was what they were dealing with there. Now I'll just stop and just throw this in there. We're going to talk about how people, even today, try to put themselves, God's people, try to put themselves under the law of Moses, still legitimately trying to adhere to the Torah or the the Tanakh. You'll hear them mention all kinds of different ways and different things that sound pretty and sound pious and sound religious and sound all of these things. People still today are doing exactly the same thing that they are, but it doesn't just apply to the law of Moses. The concepts here apply to anything that would beguile us from the things of God. Anything that would take our face and push us and look over someplace else, it's foolishness. Because if it's not of God, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And if it's not of God and it's taking us over here, even if it has God's name plastered all over it, or if it is something else egregious and nefarious and nasty and those sorts of things, still it's taking us over there. And either way, it's foolish. And this applies to us. Even if we we wouldn't dream of doing an animal sacrifice out on the faux altar that we have out in the side yard over here. Wouldn't dream of doing something like that. We wouldn't dream of not eating pig, etc., etc. No. No, this can apply to any number of different things that would bewitch us and we'd be foolish in being so. That's what Paul says here. Foolish and bewitched. Again, not my words, but Paul's words. And so he closes out that second chapter, the chapter prior to this statement he made to them. He closes it out this way. And expresses more of his thoughts of where their minds were at in that moment. Galatians 2 and verse 19. He says, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. And you can hear it in Paul's writing here. This isn't anything new to them. This is what he had expressed to them. I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, not by any liturgical calendar, not by any kind of canon that I have to adhere to, not by any kind of rules and regulations that I have to check boxes, as I always say, not checking boxes, not satisfying this, not saying, okay, what's next and what is this day? No, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God. I seek Him early in the morning, I seek Him at night, and I seek Him all throughout the day. Lord, what would you have me to do? I'm getting way ahead of myself, but if the Lord says, if I have this for you to do, and it falls somehow in line with the law of Moses, some tenet that might have been present here, that's that's between God and you. But we don't go searching back here to Exodus and searching back to Leviticus and say, okay, all right, what kind of... Fabrics, can I? Okay, I'm going to clear that out. And I'm, no, that's not what it's about for us. We live by 
faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and is my authority today. I do not set aside the grace of God. That's what it is to put ourselves under the bondage of the law. Moses's or anyone else's other than the Lord's desire and word for us. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness, any measure of righteousness, I'll add. If any measure of righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And let me tell you, child of God, he didn't. He didn't die in vain. He died absolutely purposefully, intentionally, willfully, and for purpose. And that's us. So that means that if Paul is indeed the apostle that he identified himself to be, if we believe the New Testament that he wrote about half of it, if not more, if we believe this, then if we desire to place ourselves under the bondage of the law, depending on it in any measure to provide us any good, any righteousness, any justification, any enhancement of our faith, then we're being foolish. We're being beguiled by one thing or another to turn away from the only good and perfect gift, and that's the grace of God. And we must not do this. We must not. And that's what he was telling them. So he spends the next four chapters explaining to them, probably again, what... what well, what he had told them and what they were supposed to be thinking and what they were supposed to be feeling and what they weren't supposed to be doing. And so there it is. Uh, why is there this tendency to return to the law? Why has there always been such this tendency in this new age that we are in outside of the law, the law being put away? We understand this. Why throughout this church age for some 2,000 years it has been the tendency of God's people to want to somehow... You know, maybe not you and maybe not the ones that are present here because we are rather well versed in it. We are rather beaten over the head with grace, grace, grace. And when I say beaten over the head, I mean in a blessed way, I hope. Why is there still this tendency for some of God's people to want to put themselves underneath that bondage like these Galatians did? Do you know some who have, well, tried to put themselves under that law? I do. I know more, well, more than I would care to share with I share with you, as a matter of fact, I'm rather surprised, not anymore perhaps, but when I first encountered these ones, I was surprised by how many of God's people who are saved understand the grace message and still find some kind of draw to go back, searching back here in, in what Moses had laid out and somehow try to, well, let's try this and let's try this and pulling pieces this way and that way. Why do people have that draw? Well, I have a couple of reasons couple of reasons that I've heard straight from the horse's mouths. First off, here's reason number one for you. If it's in the Bible, if the Bible says that I need to do it, it's in the Bible. It is. I can take you right there to where it says, you know, everything that it says in the law. I, I, it's in the Bible. We need to do this. Uh, when Allie and I moved into our neighborhood, one of our neighbors had came come over and I told them who I was and what I was doing and what my job was and that sort of thing. And so they said, oh, that's good. We're believers as well. We're Christians and probably share this with you. But <clears throat> he, they told me, they, well, they introduced themselves as Christians who adhere to the entire Bible. And so I said, okay, I don't leave out pieces of it for myself either. You know, I didn't tell them that. But, you know, I'm like, no, oh, that's good. And, they, and then he looked at me and he made eye contact and he said, we believe the entire Bible. And then he expressed that he was pointing to the Old Testament and they took the Old Testament stuff for themselves as well. Um, that they 
brought it in. And after we got to know them a little bit, and we heard different terms like Shabbat, and we saw them meeting on Saturdays and doing this and that, and uh, it was became pretty clear after talking with their kids and that sort of thing that they were what they call Messianic Jews or Messianic believers, whatever the term you want to use. Now, what's one of the cardinal rules? I've mentioned it from the pulpit. I think Brother David has and during Sunday school. What's one of the cardinal rules that we adhere to when we're studying Scripture? Consider the context, right? The context, right? You find your Scripture that you're studying and consider the context. In the chapter that it's in, in the book that it's in, in the context as it pertains to that book, and then in the Testament that it's in, perhaps, even the half of the Bible that it's in, and then as it results to the entire context of the Word. And then perhaps you might even take it to the, well, your own life's context and that sort of thing, but you consider the context of its writing and how it applies and pertains to you. So let me just say this. Context, context, context. We, if it's in the Bible, it's for me, and I need to obey it. Well, let me just share a verse with you. And you'll forgive me if this comes off as kind of crude. Uh, Numbers 31.17 says this, Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. That's Bible. Take it and get after that. That's, That's dumb, right? I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's foolish. That's fool. If, if I say, there it is, that's Bible, what would their response be? Well, that's not what I'm supposed to do. You read the context. Well, yes, of course you do. That is, well, it was for somebody else. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you do it. Of course. You look and you see who it applies to. This was a commandment given to a specific people, a specific moment, with terms of that moment delineated and expressed to the one that it was receiving it. You look at the context. Exodus 31, verse 14. It had a context. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. I'm confident I've seen my neighbor work on his car on the Shabbat, on Saturday. I'm confident. I haven't seen anyone put anyone to death. haven't seen it. This is part of that law, isn't it? Everyone who curses his father, Leviticus 20, verse 9. Who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He's cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Leviticus 24, 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Aren't you glad that there's a context to that that we can consider? And because it's in the scripture, that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to, well, put myself to death because I believe I've been guilty of all three of these things. Perhaps you have as well. The law included skin checks. I'm no priest, but I'm kind of close to it on, on our, in our context. You want to show me your skin issues and see if we need to get you out of this church for about seven days or so and have you come back and look you over? No, that's context, right? Animal sacrifices? No, there are a whole lot of things in the law. A whole lot of things in there. They all had a context. And it was all for that age, for that time, for their purpose in that moment for us to look at it from our age and our context and apply it to what we know of Jesus Christ and his purpose for us. It seems very simple to me. Saints, I, I'm not trying to be, I don't know, disparaging, belittling of people who get tripped up in this because I mean, I've been tripped up in things 
myself. And I mean, I understand how it is, but I'm telling you, the more I study Galatians, and you've read it for yourself, it just seems to me that all you have to do is say, you know what, start at Galatians 3.1 and read to the end of chapter 6, and what more is there that this guy has to say? It just seems so evident to me. It seems so plain. But, again, Paul had to reiterate this stuff. Paul had to share this sort of thing. So, we consider it. The context of the people of Israel. That's what the law was for in that time. We know the context of how it applies to, well, that timeline of the coming Christ that we can read about throughout the Old Testament. And then we see the entire word of God front to back and how it falls into that. And we recognize that the law of Moses is not for us. Paul goes on, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Again, the theme chapter, or the theme verse of this entire book, in my mind, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Saved flesh is after saved flesh, whatever the case might be, it's not going to be justified. It's not going to enhance it. It's not going to help it. It's not going to contribute to it. Nothing. Just because it's in the Bible does not mean that we take it literally and say, that's for me. I need to obey that. I need to carry out that specific passage. We know this. We recognize this. And we need to apply it to this specific, well, the specific thought, concept of the law. Uh, another reason. I know that we're under grace. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have to read. I, I know to read the context, and I know to do this and that. I know that we're under grace, but if it was a good idea then, you know, I mean, leaving out all the, the things that might be not applicable to us, but if it was a good idea then, couldn't I take some of that and just apply it? And just, you know, it can only help, right? If, I mean, if God was interested in it in that time, then why not apply it? To now, I know Jesus is the way to righteousness, but this will enhance my righteousness, right? Not uncommon reasons. I've, again, I've heard a number of people say those very things. Paul was pretty plain spoken about that in Galatians 3 and verse 2. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Just tell me this, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And he kind of leaves it there. It's a rhetorical question. It was by the hearing of faith and by well, believing in faith. You know, again, getting way ahead of myself, we're not even talking about Abraham tonight. But how was Abraham saved? He believed God and it was counted for, to him for righteousness. Was that in the days of the law? No, it was well before the law. Well before. These ones that they, they were all wrapped up and interested in the old things and the pious things and the righteous things. Faith was around well before the law of Moses. Abraham was saved well before the law of Moses. Abel believed and was faithful well before the law of Moses. And yet we get fixated on this because there are lists. There are priests involved. There was holiness involved. There was pomp involved to a certain measure. There was dignification involved, perhaps. All of these different things are some of those adjectives you can see Oh, describing their thoughts of, of, of their own while working underneath this burden of the law. I only want to know from you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Let me just answer for you, he says. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? 
It was the receiving of the new birth. Well, it was when we received that we were born again. That was when we began in the Spirit. That new man was found in grace alone. That new creation was separated from the old creation by grace alone. Will we continue on pursuing the things of God in anything other than His grace? Will we be doing it based on our own flesh and by our own understanding? No, we don't do it. We pursue on continuing in good works by the grace of God, by His enabling, by His empowering, by His leading. Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying, Paul said to Titus. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. Remind these folks, he's saying. That those who have believed in God should be, well, should be careful to maintain good works. No question. These things are good and profitable to men. Faith without works is dead. We understand this. But works without faith is just as dead. Those works are just as dead. We go and f- try to figure things out based on... Let's see. They used to do this. Okay, I'm going to do that, and that will get me somewhere. As soon as the Lord says, this isn't for you. As soon as Jesus said, I have come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. That means it is fulfilled. He came and it is done. So if we are trying to pursue the law, when he says it's done and put away with, when we're trying to grasp and reach for that, it's not of faith. And any of the works that fall under the banner of pursuing the law or pursuing anything else that takes us outside of the will of God. Every effort that they put into doing these things that God said, it's not for you. Those works weren't of faith. I think Brother David actually made this point very well during Sunday school. It's not of faith. You don't get the credit when you're doing something outside of the will of God. Even if it looks good and, and under other circumstances and in another context by someone else well, being moved by the leading of God. Maybe they would have been blessed in it. Not you when it's not what he has for you. Not you when he's called you to something different and Jesus says, I've done this. Can we go over here? Can we move over here and leave these elementary things alone that no longer apply to you? I have so much more for you than this. Oh, but no, let me show you how I can... No, no, it's not of faith. Works without faith are dead. And the Lord's not interested in dead works. Works that are pursued apart from the will and the word of God are not of faith and they are profitless to us. And the works of the law, under the law, are not for us to pursue. There's no enhancement of our faith when we try to grab onto those things. Yes, the Lord still has the same heart that He did in that day. And I believe, without question, that there are certain things that you can look in Old Testament Scripture, under the law, and you can see, "Mm, God thinks this way about that situation. God thinks this way about that specific sin, or that specific carnality, or that specific doctrine. And that applies to us in this age. But that doesn't mean the whole enchilada comes to us all just part and parcel. Just right over here. We pick it up and we apply it to us. No, we go with the Lord. And we go with grace. And we go with His wisdom and His guidance. Because we have this wonderful thing. Man, I sound sarcastic. We have this wonderful thing, no sarcasm, called the Holy Spirit that leads us today. That leads us and brings His Word and pours into our hearts what we're supposed to know and why what we're supposed to pursue, what we're supposed to do, and how come, as the Lord leads us. Not because we are checking the boxes. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, he says in Galatians 3.10, back in our opening passage, in our opening chapter, that is. 
It is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And this is where they kind of, well, those ones who would mix grace and the law or try to enhance their faith by piecemealing things, piecemealing and, and cherry picking different things out of the law. That feels good and that looks good and this seems right and I can accommodate this. What does it say there? You're under the curse, number one, if you're under the works of the law. But cursed is everyone who does not continue in how many things? <laughs> All things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. It's plain. It's clear. We hold these truths to be self-evident, it says in one of the documents in our well, the Constitution or the Declaration. It's been a long time since I was in school. We hold these truths to be self-evident, something clear, something in and of itself that just makes complete sense. This is evident that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. For the just shall live by faith, yet the law is not of faith. Man, does it get any clearer than that? The law is not of faith. You're sitting here doing these things by rote, by habit, at best, if you're doing them at all. And if you are doing them, by golly, you've got to do all of them. The man who does them shall live by them. That doesn't mean that well, it doesn't mean that they're going to live. It doesn't mean that they're going to find righteousness. It doesn't mean it means that if you're going to accommodate these ones, you take one, you take all of them. And if you accomplish all of those and you satisfy every one of those perfectly by by the letter, you dot every I and cross every T, well then you'll you'll be just fine. Because your name will be Jesus and you'll be perfect. But no one is going to do it other than Him. Period. Period. You're not going to live by the law, is what He was saying. They're not going to find life by the law. You have to keep all of those things. Sabbath keeping, sacrifices, skin checks, all of those things we mentioned a moment ago. Putting to death the offender when they are, well, when it's required. You can't fulfill the law. And not only can we not fulfill it, we wouldn't want to. Paul says in Galatians 4.21, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear it? Do you not hear the law? Have you not considered it? Have you not studied it for yourself? Have you not looked into what it involved and have you not seen the entire lack of success by those ones to satisfy themselves and to find righteousness by just merely going by the book, going by well, by habit and that sort of thing, yes, there was faith that was established. There was faith that was understood. There were those ones who would go through and they would find the Lord, certainly, as they recognized, man, the more I do these things, the more I bring my sacrifices, I'm not, well, they're not changing me. I, man, I, I'm, I'm always, always, always necessitating the blood of that bull. The blood of that goat. You know, some, we stop and we're called to meditate on the word and consider what we do. To think about the things that we believe. You think that those ones weren't given to think about it for a time? You think that there wasn't intent when you put your hand upon that animal? It wasn't just, oh, okay, go through the motions, okay, done. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. You know, it wasn't supposed to be that. There's supposed to be consideration. There's supposed to be an identification. There's supposed to be an understanding. When we come to the table of communion, we're not supposed to just come up and say, here's this dry cracker and here's a little snoot of, of grape juice. That's not what it's supposed to be. I can belittle it. 
But that's not what it's supposed to be. Someone from the outside might look and say, what are they doing? It's a consideration. It's an examination. It's something to make us have a moment with the Lord. And that's what these ones were called to do. Just to recognize, my goodness, sheep after sheep and lamb after lamb. And I'm still who I am. There's got to be a better way. And we look at it and we look back and we say, well, yes, there is. His name's Jesus. He is the better way. Look what the Lord did and satisfied that and accommodated that. Why do I want to sit and put myself under any piece of that thing that was bondage back in that day? We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, Romans 3. I'll start wrapping this up. That every mouth may be stopped. I call this the shut up scripture because there's no, no one can stay talking and telling themselves how wonderful they are in the face and in the light of the law. It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. He told the Romans too. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And I have to read this before we close up. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' own words. I alluded to these just a moment ago. He says, "Do Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill or to cram complete, full like a fishing net, overflowing, cram complete. The the law has been satisfied. No other room for us to try to insert something or to take something for ourselves and say, hey, let me contribute while it's enhancing me. No, that is completely removed from us. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. He's done it. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The point being that your righteousness left to itself, as you're trying to satisfy the law, your righteousness is not going to exceed theirs. These ones were the the authorities. They were the well-educated in the law. They, they try to scratch every eye and do everything perfect and, and walk that line. They didn't even recognize Jesus when he came by. They had no understanding of what the law was. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus thanked the Lord, packed full of that law, fulfilled it for us. Am I going to sit and try to... Let me take a little piece of that. Let me, let me try a little some of this. Pull that for myself. No. Jesus lifted the burden from us. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Colossians 2.13, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, the law being the picture of that, all of those requirements for us. And He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Saints, people like the Galatians grab hold of those unnecessary and needless things for whatever reason, whether they think it feels holy, which we'll probably consider next week, whether they think, well, it's in the Bible, so I have to do it, and they're just uneducated in the context that is the Word of God, or whatever reason it might be. This is going to enhance me. This will make me better. This will contribute to... People like the Galatians still live and exist today. 
And as much as it pains me to say it, and I'm not calling them that, it's the Word of God. They're foolish. And it's to be bewitched to dismiss the grace of God as though the cross of Christ didn't satisfy everything for us. Something might feel holy. Something might feel righteous. Something might, well, even in the last age, might have been both of those things. But if it's under the well, under the banner and under the umbrella of the law. It is not for us. As the Lord leads us and gives us direction and asks us to do certain things, they might be quite in line with what the law's tenets said. But we do it out of the grace and the enabling of the Lord Jesus, not because we're satisfying or trying to grab onto something that's for a pastime and make it for us. May that not be so for us. Do not be like the Galatians, child of God. And we'll be considering more of this, taking different little routes, different little places, as Paul made different specific points in the, well, in the following chapters. We'll be going down those different routes in the coming weeks. Uh, you can be finishing up chapter 3 for next week.